Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Two groups on today's program. In the second half of the show, I'll be speaking with the group working to help transform the Bachman Lake area of Dallas. But we start off with Ellen Magnus. She's the CEO of Family Gateway. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. A colleague uh, actually went down to your facility, checked you guys out. He found me in the hallway after he got back and said, I got somebody for you to book. (laughs) Book them. So here you are, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Let's talk about Family Gateway. What do you guys do? Sure. So Family Gateway uh, serves homeless families and children. So our goal is to provide stability to families with children as they're experiencing a homeless crisis. Now, does this, how does that manifest itself? Do you provide, is it, are you working on shelter systems? Are you working on education? Is it food? What do you guys do? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) Okay. So we have a 30-room shelter in downtown Dallas. So each family who comes in has a private room, Mm. um, shared bathroom, and shared dining facilities. Uh, We have... Uh, assessments for every family to figure out exactly what they need, where their gaps are, where their barriers are, including assessing the children to find out how far behind they are socially, emotionally, developmentally. We know that homelessness is traumatic for children, Hmm. so we try to do an assessment on the children. So we provide shelter services, um, which is three meals a day, roof over your head, laundry facilities, all basic needs. We have an after-school program for the children in our care so that they have somewhere somewhere to go after school. Uh, we work with uh, children who are preschool-aged in our care to make sure that they're getting what they need in order to be kindergarten-ready and to get into early childhood development because we know that homeless children are so far behind their peers. Once families are ready to move out of shelter and into housing, we have some supportive housing programs so we can follow them out into the community and continue to provide services, case management services with them um, for a year or longer to make sure they don't come back into homelessness. Mm. You're hitting all the highs. Most of my notes, I'm going. you're like hitting my notes one by one, so we're going to have to go back through. One of the things that I did notice on your website, which I thought was interesting, uh, the website familygateway.org, is that you say that you, you, you focus on housing first, and then you work on everything that's causing that homelessness afterward. It, is that sort of unique to your organization, that approach? That approach is actually not unique to our organization, but it is a philosophical shift in the way that the whole country used to deal with homelessness. So it used to be the thought that um, we have to get you in, sort of get you healed up and recovered until you're ready to be housed. Mm. And so now the thinking is, especially for families, but really for everybody, that you can't really get to a great stable place in your life until you are housed. That so, really made, was that so, so, so the old model? Yeah, that really, that yeah. is, that yeah. makes sense. Um, 
But the opposite was true for a long time, apparently. For a long time. Um, and I think that this happens when there are, as is always the case, um, scarce resources. And mm. so um, there's a lot of thinking that you only want to put people into housing who can be successful in housing. And you can try to figure that out beforehand when really you really don't know who's going to be successful until you get started with them. And so we know that there are people, for instance, who are alcohol and drug addicted who are living in houses right now who have never been homeless. They do okay, right? Yeah. And so um, we know that there are people who um, have low-income jobs who are not homeless who, who make it. Right. And so there's really no need to sort of prove yourself worthy of of having a home, Mm. but it's just getting um, getting you on the right track and helping you find those resources. And so we do have an incredible lack of affordable housing in our community. We know that's a big problem. And families typically coming into shelter care are making about 30 percent of the area median income. So it means they're making about 10 bucks an hour. So it's really hard to raise a family of four on 10 bucks an hour. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of impossible. It's hard to raise a family of one. <laughs> of one. And so, so it's it's not too hard to see how a family finds themselves in a homeless situation. Really, they're barely making it. And then something bad happens. Mm. They lose their job. There's an illness and they're an hourly worker and they don't have benefits. The kids get sick. It could be any number of things that for you or me could be simple, but we recover quickly from for a family who's living on the edge, for something like that to happen, sometimes pushes them right over the edge. That one step to disaster. That one thing. Do most of the people that you work with, are they employed, or just underemployed? Most of the people we work with are employed, but we certainly have families who, for whatever reason, can't work from, from a disability perspective or who don't have the proper education and training in order to get a decent job, right? And so sometimes we have to start way back at the beginning and say, let's get that GED on board and then let's start working. Which is right? one of the programs that you guys provide. Yeah. You guys have a lot of different programs for adults. It's not just for kids as right. we're as we're learning. Uh, right. A lot of different projects for them, including job training, job preparedness, GED program, extra education, and things like that to help people push them into a situation where they'll be making more money and they can sustain themselves. Exactly. And so what we find is that if we can get families into our care, there are numerous organizations in the community who offer very specialized services who have our target audience as their target audience. So oftentimes we don't even have to be the ones providing the program. We can just say we have 30 families in our shelter, 20 of them need job training, come on. And so we have organizations that come into Family Gateway to provide services. That way we're not duplicating Mm. what someone else does really well, but we're leveraging the resources. But you're also able to focus on that first important step, which is being housed. Yes. And that's what you guys work on. So all these programs that are offered, it's a lot about just working with partners and not necessarily a program of Family Gateway. It's just a service you provide. You're hooking people up. Exactly. So we have Parkland come on site with their medical van and their dental van. We have... Rainbow Days come on site to provide counseling. We have Planned Parenthood come on site to educate parents, right? So we try to bring as many resources into the shelter as possible so that we're not duplicating. Um, it's a it's a good use of donor dollars to be very focused in our intention. And so we try to focus on the most critical, urgent, crisis kind of things that people need when they first come in. Are they suicidal? Or do they have a mental illness issue that needs to be addressed right away? Um 
what's the housing plan? So we try to get a housing plan in place first okay. um, because that often will take 30, 60, 90 days to come to fruition. And so we want to get that started right away. We want to know what the barriers are. Is there an eviction on the record we need to remedy? All of that kind of thing. How long does it really take? You said, what, 30 to 90 days to kind of figure out the housing plan. And that is an overall look at that family, right? That's 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 kind of a snapshot of where that entire family is at. And that is going to help you figure out exactly what path to take. Right. And so um, with the critical housing shortage for these families, it sometimes will take 90 to 120 days to get them into that next step. Although some families can come in and resolve their homelessness more quickly. They just need to get... Um, sort of relief from paying rent for a month, and maybe they're right back on their feet. So every family's different, um, and every family brings their unique circumstances to the table. So we've also tried to um, do a much better job of individually assessing each and every family so that we don't sort of over-apply an intervention. <laughs> so if you don't need all of this yeah. and you just need a little bit of something, then we want to provide that little bit of something. Was right? that was that difficult to figure out, that balance? Yes, very. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, very. Uh, and so one of the things that we have implemented, which is unique to our agency, um, and this has just happened over the last few months, mm is we looked outside of Dallas because Dallas is pretty far behind in its overall homeless response. We looked to other cities like Seattle and other places that were further ahead than us and said, what are they doing that's different than what we're doing? Okay. And one of the things that they're doing well, which we've now implemented at Family Gateway, is now when a family calls, we don't say we're full or we'll put you on a wait list. Now we say, let's do an assessment over the phone and figure out exactly what you need. And it could be that we can resolve your issue without you ever having to come in. Now, just by giving them advice or pushing them to another agency, what can you do just over the phone? We can refer them to whatever resources they need. Um, So let's say they're just looking for food. We can refer them to a food bank. Let's say that they're an individual who is not a family, so it doesn't meet our criteria. Mm. So we can refer them to the right place. So some of the calls we're getting are, I've got an eviction notice on my door. I have to be out in 24 or 36 hours. I need shelter. So we're not going to assume that that is the answer. We're going to say, come in. Let's have a quick assessment with you. So maybe it takes two or three hours all in. Okay. But we're going to say, what got you to this place? Let's get your landlord on the phone. Let's see what will it take to have your landlord keep you. We'd much rather provide services to you where you are Mm. than to uproot your family and bring you into shelter and then have you have an eviction on your record. So let's, before you move out, let's get the landlord on the phone. Landlord, what will it take for you to keep this family? Do you need half of what they owe? If we could get you half of what they owe, will you keep them? Will you let them pay it out $30 a week? Yes. Great. Okay, well, we're going to provide services to them if you'll keep them, right? So we didn't need to bring them into shelter. Shelter wasn't the right answer for them. Yeah. In our old model, we would have just put them on a waiting list and said, we'll let you know when a room opens up. 
So it's a much different way of thinking. It is, but it, it's yeah. but it's really just an extension of what you guys were already doing. Yes. It's, it's not so far out of left field. You know, we're talking no. about areas of the country that are really helping people that are in a tough spot, and they're doing it a lot more effectively. Efficiently, and just yes. this right here, basically just having somebody on the phone for two to three hours, yeah. is keeping people in their homes safer longer. Right. And then the other situation that we often find is... Um, let's say it's a single mom with a kid and she's had a fight with her mother where she was living and mom has put her out. And so she's living in her car. Mm. Right. And so if we ever find somebody who's living in their car, we say, come in because we want to put our eyeballs on you and we want to talk to you today. Yeah. And um, and so it also doesn't necessarily mean that they need shelter because let's get mom on the phone or let's get mom in a meeting. So, mom, what will it take for you to take them back in? And get them out of their car. What if we're full and don't have a room for them? Will you take them back? And what will it what will it take? So is it that they're eating you out of house and home? You need some you need some support for some groceries. Is it that the children are wildly misbehaving? Can we get them some parenting classes for the mom or some behavioral counseling for the kids? We'll do whatever it takes to keep that family s- stable. And provide services rather than, again, taking up a shelter space. Because there are plenty of people who are living in cars who have nobody. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of mediating. Yes. Now, who is taking on that role? Because you said this is a relatively new thing for Gateway. So yes. who who is filling in these shoes yeah. to help people just communicate? Yeah. So we've hired um, a, a brand new team. And they're called assessment and diversion. And so all they're doing is assessing and trying to divert from shelter. And diversion doesn't mean no services. Diversion means no shelter services, but other services, right? And so it's more of a, a strategy to deal with, number one, trying to really apply the intervention that the family needs and not assuming that just because they're living in their car, they need shelter. Yeah. Which is sometimes a hard leap for some families to sure. make, yeah. right? To that say, makes sense. if you've got some other place we can put you and still help you and work with you on a housing plan, we want you to stay there because there are not that many shelter rooms it's in the community. It's going to free up any rooms you guys have for somebody that desperately that has needs it. nothing, has no family, has no community resources, has nothing. We have to make sure that we have space for them. And there's no way to make space for them if the rooms are full of people who really have somewhere else they could go. So that's an extra step that we're taking, um, which is a smarter use of resources. It's less expensive to deliver. Uh, One case manager's time for three hours is a whole lot less than three months of shelter. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) A whole lot less. And, um, And it also empowers that family in a way that's different than if they're being brought into shelter, into full-time care, right? It's a different, um, it's a, it's a different model. They're actually working through their problems right. type thing? Yes, yes. And, and we're modeling for them how to problem solve and how to negotiate. So a lot of these families just don't know that they have a right to talk to their landlord and say, can I work out a payment plan? They just don't know. They've never had that skill That was set. going to be my next question. Are, are people shocked at how easy it is to get these situations rolling in a positive direction? The, yes, they are. Um, now, not everyone turns out the way we want to, and sometimes they come right into shelter. But if we can divert 18 families... That's more than half of our space, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so 
Um, so it's just a much more efficient and effective way to work. And it also enables us to increase our capacity to serve more families. Because if we can only serve 30 at a time in shelter, we can only serve 30 at a time. This opens up the world for us Mm -hmm. to help many more families. So we anticipate that this is going to triple our capacity because we can help people out there where they are with services. I want to figure out how long people are in the shelters with you guys and all that kind of stuff, but we should really start, I guess, more at the beginning. How do people get involved with Family Gateway? If you're going to take a family into one of your 30 shelters, how does that process begin? Where do most of these people come from? Uh, It's really fascinating. So we've been collecting data since we've started our assessment and diversion program. And most families get to us because they arrive at a shelter that's not for families. That's usually how people get to us. Okay. Or they find us on the Internet. Uh, And so we get a lot of referrals from other shelters who will serve individuals, which is a completely different model than we have. That's more of a come in at night, sleep, get a meal, go out the next day start the whole process over again. Well, that, of course, doesn't work for families. Of course. (laughs) And so we get a lot of referrals from our partners who are shelter leaders with different target audiences. Uh, And so someone will call in or email in. They'll be connected to an assessment or a diversion specialist. They'll have a pre-screening to determine where, you know, where did you sleep last night? Was it in a car? We have people sleeping in cars like you wouldn't believe. We had 58 families last month sleeping in cars. Wow. It's outrageous. We had, I think, 16 families sleeping in hotels who were running out of money, and it was their last night. We had calls from families who were in some of our other partner shelters who they have a time limit on their shelter stay, and they were running out of time. Mm. And then um, people who were pending eviction or people who are already living with a relative and trying to find their way forward. So... Um, so they come through a variety of places. Sometimes police bring families to us. I mean, it just depends. So you have 30 units. Are they are they similar to apartments? How would you describe the, the units that the families actually live in? So think about a dormitory. Okay. College dorm. Oh, yes. So it's sort of like your it's sort of like your old college dorm room. All right. Uh, and so they're chock full of bunk beds in most cases, so that we can put the whole family into one room. Um, And then there's common area restrooms and common area dining rooms. And then we have a computer lab and all sorts of um, room for after school programs and that sort of thing. So the rooms are private for each family. So it's not like a big open space with a bunch of cots. Gotcha. So each family has a private room with a little card key like a hotel. Right. So they have their um, their ability to come and go. And some families we have a a single parent with one child. Right. Could be a single dad or could be a single mom. Something that's unique about Family Gateway is that we don't define family Mm. specifically beyond one person over 18 who has custody of one person under 18. Right. So that means we get multi-generational families, grandma, mom, mom's daughter. Right. Sure. Uh, It means we get married couples with children. We get unmarried couples with children. Uh, We take any type of family. Um, most of the other shelters, are, there's only four shelters in Dallas who will serve families, and two of those will only take women and children. Was that always part of the Family Gateway philosophy? Yes. Okay, so yes. that was since you guys, I saw that you guys were founded in 86. Long time ago, yes. So you guys, how long have you been with? Yeah. I've only been there um, a little little over a year, so I got there oh. last July. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Have you worked in Dallas in the sector before? Yes. I've been in the nonprofit world for about 17, 20 years. Yeah. All right, so you know what you're doing. <laughs> 
uh, how long is the typical stay for one of these families that is that is a part of the programs? Yeah, you know it varies, but um, so some people will come in for a few nights or a few weeks, and then other people will stay for six months. So it it varies, but the average length of stay right now is about ninety days, ninety to one hundred and twenty days. But that number is we're trying to make that shorter and shorter um, to get them into housing more quickly. Um, it's just taking us a lot longer to get them out because of the lack of housing. What's the normal process once these families are ready to, let's say, graduate and leave Family Gateway and get into their own place? Yeah. So they will typically go into either one of our supportive housing programs where they get a voucher from the Dallas Housing Authority, and that voucher pays for 70% of their rent, and then the family pays for 30% of their rent, and then we're the service provider providing monthly home visits and making sure that they're doing well out there and continuing on their plan. So there's that kind of program that we offer. Um, Some families who have uh, more deeply um, concerning long-term issues like disabilities and maybe they won't ever be able to work, they might go into a federally funded permanent supportive housing program where the federal government pays their money through us. So we get money from the federal government. We pay for their rent. They might need longer term kind mm-hmm. of support. And then we have all sorts of partners in the community who have things called transitional housing, which is still trying to build that bridge between shelter and a more permanent situation for housing. So, so it just depends on the unique circumstances of the family and what they need in order to be successful next. What does that transitional housing look like? Because it really sounds like you're in between. So is it a family stays at a home for a certain amount of time, and yes. then they go to something else? In a, in a particular program. So they, they need more intensive gotcha. programmatic support. Uh, for these vouchers that are given out to families, uh, once they kind of uh, get out of Family Gateway, do you do you continue to work on maybe a financial literacy aspect for their family? Because if you've got reduced rent, you might think, oh, i got a bunch more money in my pockets, and not really think about, no, that means you need to save this amount to make sure that you'll be paying full rent by this date and still have money for groceries and just get Absolutely. on a more regular schedule. Absolutely. And so both in shelter and in our apartments where we have families who are on some sort of additional supportive housing, we offer different partners to come in, different banks come in and talk to families, number one, about how not to become prey to predatory people who are out to, to really take advantage of people who yeah. are very low income. I mean, it's it's a little bit disturbing to see um, that, you know, we tend to kick families when they're down, you know, so um, we try to help them understand that that payday lenders and title loans, those are not good, <laughs> right? Those are, they sound like a good- And they're common within this area. Right, they sound like a good fix, but boy, do you get yourself in trouble, right? And so we try to start with some very basics like that. And so, but we do have partners who come in and provide those kind of classes. Okay. And those extend into the apartments so that we're always continuing to provide the level of service that people need. How do families still get to interact with Family Gateway once they're in their own home? Because a lot of the services you're providing are for kids, and they're services that are going to really help families once they're getting getting their own legs back again, let's say. So, you know, early childhood education is something that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are the kids going to stick with this program even after they have found a home? 
So what we do in the area of, let's say, early childhood education, so we're going to assess the child to figure out how far behind are they. So on a scale of 1 to 100, most of our homeless kids are scoring in the 50s, right? So they're pretty far off the mark. Mm -hmm. And then we do an intervention with the parent and the child to help the parent understand that they're the primary teacher in that child's life, which is not something typically they've thought about. They're dealing with crisis. They're dealing with where am I sleeping tonight? They're not dealing with let's teach, let me read to my child or let's teach the colors today, right? So we work on that intervention and see after about 10 to 12 weeks that those kids score about 25 points higher, which is phenomenal. That's great. And then we do our best to help them get enrolled in early childhood programs, kindergarten programs that are not at Family Gateway because we don't want them to become dependent on us, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't offer an early childhood experience. We refer them so that they're out in the community and then so they can keep that after they've left us. Makes sense. And and then for school-age kids, we make sure that they're enrolled in school, that they are um, helps with homework after school. And then sometimes when kids leave shelter and go into one of our apartment units or into some other program, we'll continue to provide that after school program until they can really fully transition to something else. So we do have kids who come on site even after they've um, moved on outside of us. We just want that to be a smooth process and not be just one more disruption and one more loss. Yeah. We never want it to feel like it's a loss when you leave shelter. We want that to be a celebration. <laughs> you guys really seem to, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really seem to fill that safety net role of a family is falling. You're going to catch them, but then you're going to, once they've safely landed, you're going to We're going to encourage push them, them along because really the goal is we want families to be self-sufficient. Um, and And so whatever it takes for them to get there, we want to provide those supports, but we don't want them to think that they can't survive without us. We want them to be that the goal is you family to be self-sufficient and not need us. And that's a mentality for success. I mean, that's got to be something. I mean, that's it. That's obviously something you guys are purposefully doing. Yes, exactly. How many families are you helping a year? We're doing 30 at a time, but in a typical year, how many do you see? So this is where this new assessment and diversion will knock us, our numbers, crazy. So in a typical year... In the, in the old model, where which is 30 at a time, plus the families out in the supportive housing, we're going to serve right around 400 families hmm. in a year. Wow. So I can tell you that already, as we're doing assessment and diversion, we're serving more than 100 families a month. So it's going to be a much crazier number a year from now when we have a year of this under our belt. Are you guys already projecting to... How are you going to balance those two now? Because you had a great model for what you were doing, and now you're helping a lot more people, but it's going to be a lot more work, and it's going to be something you're really going to have to kind of gauge to make sure they're both successful. Exactly. So we pay very close attention to the metrics that we like to track, and and, uh, and we know that we are on a growth trajectory and that um, we have to continue to increase our capacity because the need is so great. Mm. So it's sort of one of those we used to not know because we used to not ask. Right. We used to just say we're full and we used to just say, we'll put you on the waiting list. We used to really not understand. And then we would just take the next one in. So now we can't unknow what we know. And so open up that box. (laughs) Yeah. So it's sort of like we've just 
we know that we have to do this. Like, mm-hmm. who else is going to do this, right? So we have to continue to grow our organization. We have to continue to look at our facility very closely and see how we can grow within where we are and think about future needs. And we have to continue to be creative and, um, and to help as many families as we can. We just can't unknow it. Are you looking for volunteers? Always. So uh, how do people get involved with Family Gateway? So familygateway.org is the best place to go. There's a Get Involved button. There's a volunteer application. Because we have children on site, of course, we want volunteers to be background checked. So all that paperwork is on site to down, I mean, online to download. And then, um, you know, some people are intimidated by the thought of coming into a shelter that serves children and will I know what to do and will I fit in? And I will tell you that whatever it is that you do in your home to entertain your kids, if that's play a board game or play a game of cards or pull out the guitar and sing a song, Mm -hmm. our kids need that, any of that. And so what we find with these children is that they've been tremendously underexposed and under-resourced. And so they might never have seen a guitar before. They might not know what yoga is. They might not know how to play a board game when they come into care, but they do when they know, when they leave, yeah. right? And so, so I always tell people, don't be freaked out by the thought of just coming in and sitting down and playing games with the kids. It's, it can be very easy. People come in and serve meals, play games with the kids, um, play basketball. It can be very simple. And then we also have volunteers who come in and help us organize an incredible amount of donations that come in for bedding and toiletries and all of this kind of thing. So we have a role for everybody. Family Gateway is the organization I've been speaking with their CEO, Ellen Magnus. You can find them online at familygateway.org or give them a call at 214-823-4500. Thank you so much. Thank you. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.